If you have wondering, lustful eyes and an unrepentant heart, you're like, well, nobody sees it, so it's okay. If you're living differently outside of church than you are inside of church, like God's not going to see that fast. God, you, you can fast all you want. You can go a month without eating. But if you're living a wicked, evil life and you're not adhering to the basic principles of what God actually commands for your life, then fasting isn't something that fixes that. Repentance fixes that. Right. I'm saving so many trees by switching over to the iPad instead of the printing out the message every Sunday. So, All right. Well, let's pray, and then we'll get started. Father God in heaven, Lord, you are more precious than silver. Lord, you, your love does surround us. And Father, we thank you that we are able to come to you. Lord, I pray that you would bless this message today, this topic of fasting. Lord, that you would give me wisdom to handle your word rightly. You would keep me from any error, and that I would encourage your church with this message, Father. Amen. All right, so as Raymond mentioned, we are going to have a week of corporate fasting for uh, the first week of the year. Um, there's a fellowship meal today, so that is tomorrow we're starting it, not today. I don't want anybody feeling guilty if they uh, eat the fellowship meal. And I don't want all the hard work the ladies brought to go to waste, so we're going to start that tomorrow. And... Uh, uh, I've been doing the Galatians study, and Raymond messaged me sometime this week, early, early this week, and he's like, hey, um, can you mention the fast in, in, when you stand up and preach? Just kind of just mention that, that we're going to be fasting. Say something about fasting. I was like, okay, sure, I can say something about fasting. And then I thought, what do I say about fasting? So I started reading, and then I started reading more, and I started reading more. And I was like, I'm going to be doing a sermon on fasting <laughs> because... I, I kept finding more and more stuff about fasting as I would go along. And I was like, okay, I, I guess I'm going to be doing a sermon on fasting. But I want you to know that I am, I am standing up here preaching on fasting, but I don't want to be. I don't want to be standing up here preaching on fasting. I want to be sitting with you guys listening to someone preach on fasting. The more text I read and the more the Lord opened up his word, I, I didn't feel qualified to preach on fasting. I'd had a, a fairly poor view of it and, and a low view of it most of my Christian life. And, and it wasn't until recently that I started trying to be more disciplined. But even then, it was kind of hit and miss. And, and uh, the responsibility is, is to preach what the Lord gives you. And, um, but I feel very unqualified to stand up here and say it. I, I wish I could just turn the iPad on, let it read and, and preach. But Siri hasn't been called to preach to you guys. I have been today. And uh, if I only preached on verses and, and, and topics that I am doing perfectly in my life, I would never stand up here. And I'm going to assume that's the case for Kenzie and Chris as well. So don't hear anything I say and think he's speaking from some pious authority in that he's mastered it. No, I'm, I'm letting Scripture be the authority. I'm just the one saying the words. Um, so we're going we're gonna, to dive into the Bible. We have a lot of verses to go through, and we're going to start with what is potentially the first time fasting is mentioned in Scripture. And I say potentially, because you'll see when I get there. We're going to start in Leviticus chapter 16, and then this is where Moses is giving the instructions to the Israelites, or the Lord is giving Moses instructions for the Day of Atonement, how they're going to handle the Day of Atonement. And uh, Leviticus 16 in verse 13 and starting in verse 31, it says, It is a Sabbath, a solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. That's the ESV. The NASB 
uh, reads it a little differently. It says, you shall humble yourself. And then the NIV says, you, shall, you must deny yourself. So different translations bring a little clarity. Um, humble, deny, afflict. And uh, so Matthew Henry's commentary was pretty helpful in kind of understanding that. Uh, Matthew Henry's commentary, what he says specifically on regarding that chapter or that verse 31, he says, they must refrain from all bodily refreshment and delights in token of inward humiliation and contrition for their souls, of their souls for their sins. They all fasted on this day from food, except the sick and children, and laid aside their ornaments, for they did not ornate themselves. Um, so we're going to be searching for more clarity on exactly what that is. That's, that's considered the first time fasting is mentioned in Scripture, and it was one of the Levitical requirements for the Day of Atonement. Um, but for further clarity, we're going to look at a couple verses throughout the Bible that use similar language, and we're going to see patterns and trends that we can kind of help piece together what our modern-day Christian approach to fasting should be. Um, so for some more clarity, we're going to hop over to Ezra, 8.21. And you guys don't feel obligated to switch back and forth. Some of these are one verses. Some of these are kind of like the, the half of a verse. So don't feel obligated to keep up with me if that's going to distract you at all. Um, so Ezra 8.21. There, by the Ahava Canal, I proclaimed a fast so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey for us and our children with all our possessions. So Ezra is proclaiming a fast as a way to humble Israel before God. Um, they are on their way to travel um, through enemy territory, through foreign territory, with a bunch of possessions that they've just been given by the king to go rebuild Jerusalem. So they're going to head home and do some rebuilding. And Ezra mentions, I was afraid to ask the king for, uh, I was afraid to ask the king for an army, for, for a guide, a guard because I told him our Lord was with us. So he had the potential to go to men and to seek men's provision. The king basically was giving him everything. But he said, I was afraid to ask the king because I told him the Lord was with us. So let's humble ourselves and go to the Lord and ask him to protect us. And the Lord does. Um, this trend continues, or this, this humbling trend continues. In, uh, and we see in Psalm 31, David kind of spells it out for us. Psalm sorry, 35, 13 David says, I put on sackcloth and I humbled myself with fasting. So humbling yourself, fasting. We're going to see those paired a lot throughout the, the Bible, and that's, that's really going to be the focus of, of today's message. Um, Daniel gives us more clarification and, and more confirmation that that's what it's speaking of. Uh, Daniel, starting in chapter 10, um, starting in verse 11, and he said to me, O Daniel, Man greatly loved, understand that the words that I speak to you and stand, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken these words to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God. Your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. So, we're seeing that a messenger was sent to Daniel to interpret a, a difficult vision that he had received. And, and he says, I've been sent because you humbled yourself. And earlier in that same chapter 10, in verse 2, we see how Daniel humbled himself 
Daniel says, at that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions and all, at all until the three weeks was over. So we see at the beginning, Daniel's response was to, to fast, to humble himself, no lotions. No, no, and it said previously, no ornaments, like nothing extra, just a very simple focus on the Lord and giving up things to, to do that. Um, we're, we're seeing that, humble, that, that fasting, and I'm hoping to explain using Scripture, that fasting is a particular and acceptable method to humble yourself before the Lord, to properly seek Him in particular needs of prayer. We will be looking at a few examples of times that men have fasted or that they've called for a fast to show that this is the right way to approach God, to use fasting to humble yourself. Um, But a lot of the examples I'm using or I'm going to use are from the Old Testament. And although we have Christ fasting in the wilderness for 40 days, we don't have a lot of, I would say, like commands or examples for exactly how to fast in the New Testament and it can be argued as fasting for modern-day Christians. Is this something we do? Is it a works? Is it, is it some form of uh, Old Testament thing that should be done away with? A lot of things in the Old Testament are not for the modern Christian. Um, I can say for most of the Levitical rituals are not for us. You're, you, Christian, are free to wear garments with multiple fabrics. You, know, you can wear a cotton nylon blend or a wool nylon blend if you're my wife. Um, you, you have the freedom to eat shellfish. You, we, we have the freedom to um, eat. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. We have the freedom to eat shellfish. We have the freedom to eat the unclean animals. That's what I was trying to say. Um, but fa- so fasting is not law-abiding. It, it is a work. It's something you do. It's an act. But it's not done for salvation. It's not done to make you acceptable by God. Fasting is done to humble you. It is done for you. Fasting is done to humble you so that when you approach God, you approach him rightly. Um, so for, for Christians that would ask, you know, should I fast? Should, should that be something we do? Uh, I'm going to use Christ's words himself to help answer that. Um, so Christ says in Luke 5.33, um, account, this account is also recorded in Matthew 9, but we'll just look at Luke's account today, um, in Luke 5.33, and they said to him, speaking to Christ, the disciples of John fast often and pray and often prayer. Uh, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bride is with them? The day will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and they will fast in those days. So Jesus himself is saying, when he leaves, when, when he's no longer physically with them, they will fast. So that is something Christians will be doing. Um, and Jesus answer, offers some clarity as to why this is, because he's with them. You can't draw any nearer to Christ than when he's right there in your midst. But when he's not there, fasting is to be used to draw closer to him. Um, so... Why should Christians fast? And that's what we're going to address now. We need to look at why Christians should fast. As part of the explanation from what, what Jesus gives from his parable, I'm going to be using Webster's 1913 Dictionary. 
And I find the 1913 is a really good way to translate some words into what they actually mean and not so much of the, of the modern influence on these words. So Webster's 1913 defines fast as to obtain from food, to emit from nourishment, in whole or in part, to go hungry. So I'm not going to prescribe exactly how you should fast today, just like I'm not going to prescribe exactly how you should read your Bible. Um, I can say with confidence that you should read your Bible daily. Like You should. But for some people, that's five minutes. For some people, that's five hours. And that can be the same person at different seasons of their life. Um, but you should do that. And, and, and even with that, with reading your Bible, um, so I'm not misunderstood, there are acceptable times to not read your Bible in a day. You know, if, if there's a family trauma, someone's in a car accident, or if, so, if you're sick and you're physically not able. We have a friend in Corpus who has horrible back issues, and she's on terrible medications, and she can go um, days without even being able to read anything. And, and just her mind is not allowed to pay attention. Pay attention. So there are excuses. And I would imagine that the God that loves you ladies enough to give you a child is not going to fault you for giving birth to that child and missing your daily devotional. So there, there are acceptable reasons to miss, um, uh, to, to miss it. And this is not something we're going to follow up with next week. We're, we're, we're making the call for the church to do a corporate day of fasting. But next Sunday, I'm, no one's going to stand up here and do roll call. We're not going to give away awards for who fasted the most or who gave up the most delicious desserts. Like, like this is between you and the Lord, but the purpose of it is to humble yourself in a time of prayer. Um, so throughout Scripture, whenever fasting is mentioned, it is food. It's to abstain from food, sometimes food and water. Um, there's one other thing that might be considered fasting, which I'll address in a minute. Um, but I don't believe you can call anything else a fast. You know, if you want to give up social media in this time, that's great, but that's not a fast. That's just giving something up. If you want to give up, you know, I like sports. I'm going to stop watching sports so that I can focus on the Lord. I think those are good things, and it's appropriate to give those up in season and out of season, but those wouldn't be considered a fast as the Bible defines the word fast. So um, that other thing I mentioned, if you guys will turn to 1 Corinthians 7, starting in verse 5. And in the context of husbands and wives, it says, Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come, again, come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Paul doesn't word that as fasting here, but, it, but this is a time to give up the natural part of being married for the sake of praying and seeking the Lord. Um, Paul does, however, frame this very specifically. He says, or very carefully, he says, um, it must be agreed upon and it must be for a limited time. God is not shy. He's the one who designed all of this. And, and Paul's not putting this in here to embarrass anybody or make someone feel like less or greater of a Christian because they choose to or not to fast from this. What Paul is saying is, it is appropriate for you to have seasons and situations in your life that are so dire and so heartfelt that it is appropriate to give up the natural um, things of marriage and not sinful to give those up for a season so that you can cry out to the Lord, so that you can plead with the Lord for an answer, so that you can run to your Father for salvation, for, for, for help in a time of need. 
that it's appropriate to temporarily suspend the marriage rights so that you can, with everything you have, seek the Lord. And, and that's the clarity that's brought there. Um, and that's, that's the one option. I'll, that's all I'm saying about that. Everything else from now on is going to be about food fasting, um, specifically um, fasting and praying together. Um, so... We're going to do a deep dive in one situation where fasting is used and how the Lord interacts with that, and then we'll, we'll continue. Um, it wouldn't be a Sunday for me preaching if I didn't read a really long portion of Scripture, so we're going to start with that. Uh, if you guys will turn to this one, Second uh, Chronicles chapter 20. I'll give you guys a second to get there before I start. And if you need to find Second Chronicles in your Bible, it's the one right before or right after First Chronicles. All right, Second uh, Chronicles 20, starting at verse 1. After this, Moabites and Amorites, and with them some of the Mesopotamia, came against Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom and beyond the sea, and, beyond, and behold, they are in Hazem Tumar, that is, Endgild. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judea and Judea assembled all Judah and Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord from all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord and Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said O Lord God of our father are you not God in heaven O ruler of all kingdoms of the nations, in your hand are power and might, so that none is able to stand to withstand you. Do you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel, and give it forever to them, forever to the descendants of Abraham your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you. In it, a sanctuary for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in the house, and cry out to you for our, in our affliction, and you will hear us and save. And behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy, Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O oh, our God, will you not execute judgment for on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Meanwhile, in Judah, meanwhile, all men, meanwhile, all Judah stood up before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. And the Lord, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, son of Zerk, son of Bethiel, son of Mal, son of Levi, to the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. And he said, Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid, do not be dismayed at the great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come by the ascent of Zitz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jerusalem. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, 
Hold your position and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face on the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping him. And the Levites, the Koholites, and the Kuranites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with every loud voice. And they arose early the next morning and went out to the wilderness of Terek. And when they went, down to, went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah, and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with his people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in the holy attire as they went before his army and say, Give thanks to the Lord. His steadfast love endures forever. When Judah came to the watchtower in, in the wilderness... They looked toward the horde, and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoils, they found among them their spoils they found among them in great numbers, goods, clothing, and precious things, which they took for themselves until they could carry no more. They were there three days taking the spoils. Now, if you're reading along, you notice I skipped some, and that's on purpose. I didn't miss it. Um, so the brief summary is, King Jehoshaphat was told, hey, this army's coming against you, and he didn't have any time to react. Like, they're, they're close. They're, they're here. They'll be here soon. Um, this great horde, it's three different nations on their way to destroy you. And he, no time to prepare, no, no schemes, no nothing, and he does the right thing. Unfortunately, his life ends without him always doing the right thing, but in this, he did the right thing. He turned and he ran to the Lord. He, he, he said, this, I cannot handle this situation. I ran to the Lord. And he humbled himself before the Lord. And he called the nation to humble themselves before the Lord. He said, okay, this is, is coming upon us. This, this calamity is about to befall us. We don't have any strength. We don't have any ability to do this. And we want to make that very relevant in, in approaching the Lord. So they humbled themselves by fasting and praying Lord, you're the God. And, and they, they gave God all of the praise. This is your nation. These are your people. You're the God that saves. You're the God that does this. Please help us in this. Um, in, um, in, in what is probably the most uh, dire situation, instead of building up the army, make yourself strong, every man to his posts, they said, we are going to completely just trust in the Lord, and they're gonna, we're going we're gonna to run to God. Um, I skip verse 22 and 23, because that's how they perceived it. As, as you're reading this, in verse 22 and 23, it tells us how the Lord saved them. But that's not what they experienced. What they were told is, a great army is coming to destroy you. And then they fasted and prayed. And then they were given word, don't worry, the Lord is with you. And they said, okay, the Lord is with us. Set people to sing. We're going to go out here. We're, we're, going to, we're going to continue to submit to that the Lord is with us. How is the Lord with us? We don't know. We were told we wouldn't need to fight, but what does that mean? We don't know. He's going to deliver them into our hands, but, but how? And we go to what I can only imagine is a very human response is, 
the Israelites on the watchtower. Like, okay, danger's coming from the east. Let's go to the watchtower on the east and see what's coming. So, I mean, imagine you're, you're the guy that's standing on the watchtower. The guy's standing below you because he's going to run to the king and tell the king what you see. It's about time for them to be here. Okay, where are they? And he looks and, and he's like, Bob, what do you see up there? I, I, I see a, a lot of bodies. It's like, oh, there's a lot of them. Okay, Lord, you're, wait, what do you mean bodies, Bob? Yeah, they're, they're all dead. What are, you, what are you talking about, Bob? There's this giant horde is coming for us. There's like, this nation, our nation's armies are coming to destroy us. What are you talking about? They're all dead. They're covered in spears and blood and swords and arrows. and They're, they're dead. Nobody's even moving. They're, that's it. They're dead. What are you talking about? How did that happen? Um, we're told how that happens in verse 22. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord sent an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped destroy one another. So these three armies annihilated each other. They were on their way to destroy Israel. And Israel said, we're going to trust in our God. We're not even going to pick up our swords. We're not even going to try and strengthen ourselves with nourishment. Actually, we're going to weaken ourselves with fasting, and we're going to completely rely on the Lord. And then they were given a word, hey, the Lord is with you. Don't worry about it. And they said, okay, we're going to believe that. We're going to have faith, and we're going to sing to the Lord. And it says, and when they began to sing and praise, the Lord did all the fighting for them. They humbled themselves and sought the Lord in prayer and fasting. And the Lord saw their humility, and he heard their prayer, and he answered their prayer by destroying their enemies for him. God answers urgent prayers for his people because they ran into his presence as humbly as possible. Fasting is not the self-abasement and harsh treatment of the flesh that we are warned about in Colossians 2. Colossians 2, 20 through 23. If with Christ you died to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were still alive to the world, do you submit to the regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they were used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom, proclaiming self-made religion and asceticism and severe severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Paul is not saying, Paul is saying is if you've died with Christ, if you're a Christian, then treating yourself harshly, denying yourself for the sake of, oh, I've sinned, so therefore I have to put myself in some kind of penalty box. That is not what stops the indulgences of the flesh. Um, it's the spirit working in you that stops the indulgences of the flesh. It's a new heart. And that's not what fasting is. Although fasting is a harsh treatment of the body, it is not for the sake of the Lord actually accepting you. Fasting is bringing to the Lord a heart that says, you, O Lord, are more valuable than the food that I need to survive. Lord, if I don't have you, I have nothing. There is a, a self-humility in going hungry, in sacrificing food, in becoming weak before the Lord so that your prayers may be offered with a humble and contrite spirit. 
the strength from food, the nourishment from food, the life-sustaining sustenance from food values me nothing if you don't act. Lord, without you I have nothing. Please hear my prayer. That is a humble and a broken spirit. And it is okay to, in times of need, run to the Lord, run to the presence of God in times of great need, but you run to the Lord humbly. And one way you can humble yourself and really check yourself is to fast before the Lord. Um, a picture of this desperation and running to the Lord in absolute desperation, I think is best seen in Jonah 3. And it's a short chapter, so I'm going to read the full chapter. Jonah 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let man nor beast uh, nor flock nor herd taste anything. Let them not feed or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil and from his violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God relented of his disaster, of the disaster that he had said he would do on them, and he did not do it. There can be no more desperate or greater of a situation than to realize that God, the creator of the universe, is your enemy and has set himself to destroy you. And the only response to that revelation is to, as humbly as possible, run to his presence and beg for mercy. And that is exactly what they did in Nineveh. They humbled themselves in every way they could. They fasted. They made a proclamation. It says the king himself took off his royal robes and put on sackcloth because he knew, not food in my belly, not robes on me. Nothing will stay the hand of this God. I am nothing. And he made himself as low as he could to stand before the presence of God. And the Lord saw what they did and saw their heart, and he relented because the Lord does hear and does listen to the humble. And the Lord had merciful on Nineveh. And the Lord was merciful on Nineveh. I have another explanation, another example of a preach, approaching the Lord in desperation. And we see fasting used. It does have a bit of a different result. Uh, turn with me to 2 Samuel 12. And this is King David. And David was told by Nathan the prophet, the Lord has seen what you've done. He has seen the affair that you had. He saw the murder that you used to cover up the affair. He saw the, the back dealing that you had with people, your unjust actions. And I am here to tell you that your son is going to die because of your sin. And when David heard this, <clears throat> David, in verse 16, 12, 16, and the Lord afflicted, and the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore David, and he became sick. David, therefore, sought 
God on behalf of the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all day on the ground. It says they tried to offer him food. He wouldn't take it. They tried to cover him. He wouldn't have any of it. He completely, Lord, I have made a mistake. Uh, please be merciful. Please help. And he ran to the Lord in fasting, and he, and he laid before the Lord. As, as humbly as he can be, we see a true act of humility in David, including fasting, and the Lord chose to answer that prayer with no. Fasting is not a way to get God to answer prayers he doesn't want to answer. When I was first a Christian and I was learning about fasting, I had a very poor view of it. And I remember trying fasts and then getting hungry and then kind of having bad theology in my own head and being kind of hyper-Calvinistic and like, well, if the Lord answers prayers, he's, he's the Lord. Like, I can't change his mind. And I used to think, like, how does me not eating lunch or not eating for a whole day force God to answer a prayer he wouldn't already answer? So my, my fasting life was, was pretty poor at the very beginning, and that is not what fasting is doing. We are told from Scripture that we actually do have guaranteed answers for our prayers, but we have to ask them in a right way. Um, 1 John 5.14, And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. When you ask God for anything and it lines up with his will, the answer is yes, 100% of the time. When you ask God pridefully, arrogantly, from a heart that isn't truly seeking his will, you don't have that guarantee. You don't have that. And what fasting does is it is humbling you to, to ask God to put yourself in a right spot when you approach God. If fasting and humility are two sides of the same coin, fasting and praying are two coins in the same purse because they all go together. You can't fast properly something accepted before the Lord without humility. And fasting in itself is not something that just magically makes the Lord do what you want. It is, it's combined with prayer, humbly praying to the Lord. James tells us in James 4, 6, the last portion of verse 6, that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. We just learned about grace, undeserved favor. We run to the Lord, Lord, I, I don't deserve your favor, but Lord, I don't have anywhere else to go. I need you. One of my, one of my favorite verses in, uh, in the Bible is, was said in Second um, Chronicles, it said, he says, Lord, we don't know what to do, but we look to you. We, there's no more honesty than that. Lord, I don't know what to do. I don't have an answer. I don't have the strength, but you do, and that's where I'm going to look for my help. And to that person, James says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And the, and the Bible gives us a very clear example of that. Israel, the life that Israel lived is full of peaks and valleys and peaks and valleys. And you think, man, what was the point of these people's lives? It was for you. It was for now. The point of these people's lives was so that you can look back and go, see what God does and doesn't accept, see how God behaves, and, and we can look back on that. A, a, an example of that um, very thing, and, and the misuse of fasting, is Israel in Isaiah 58, 1 through 6. And I'm going to read it kind of 
kind of a little differently than it's written, but I'm going I'm to stay true to the text. Um, so we start with God talking. You know, he's, he's to the prophet Israel, God's talking. And God says, cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgressions, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask me for righteous judgments and delight to draw near to God. Israel's response, Israel, why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? God's response to Israel's arrogance. Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and fight and hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice be heard on high. Is such a fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? It is, is it to bow down his head like a reed or to spread sackcloths and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? And the Lord goes on to bring a charge against them that they have missed, that they have robbed people of justice, that they have treated people cruelly. You're going to do the acts. You're going to, okay, I put on my sackcloth. I'm going to sit in my ashes. I'm going to not eat. And then I'm going to live a sinful, evil, wicked life. But, but the Lord's going to hear me because I'm, I'm pursuing him with fasting and righteousness. And the Lord says, no, physically fasting isn't what gets the Lord to hear you, isn't what brings the Lord near to you. Fasting with a lack of humility nullifies the fasting. It doesn't make it anything. If you're someone who's, oh, I'm going to do this week of fasting with our church, but you're stealing hours from your job or, or stealing you know, like money from your company. Uh, if, you're, if you have wandering, lustful eyes and an unrepentant heart, and you're like, well, nobody sees it, so it's okay. If you're, if you're living differently outside of church than you are inside of church, like God's not going to see that fast. God, you, you can fast all you want. You can go a month without eating. But if you're living a wicked, evil life, and you're not adhering to the basic principles of what God actually commands for your life, then fasting isn't something that fixes that. Repentance fixes that. And, and it's appropriate, it's very appropriate to use the words of, of David in Psalms 139, 23, and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That is an amazingly appropriate thing to begin a season of fasting, to begin even any time of prayer, really. You ask the Lord, Lord, it where is the hidden areas of my heart? I don't know what I don't know, but there's something. I'm not perfect. We're not fully glorified. None of us have reached it yet. There's something the Lord is working on us, is, is, is needing out of us to use the clay, the clay example. There, there is some imperfection that we can be more humble and more lowly. So, so my encouragement is to start this time of fasting with a time of repentance, a time of standing before the Lord Lord, whatever it is, let me know. And it's going to hurt. It's going to be something. I didn't think I was that harsh with my children. I, I didn't think that, you know, activity was that bad. For, I didn't realize that I was making an idol out of etc. And the Lord will answer that prayer. Again, humbly approach the Lord. And he will answer that prayer for you to search him. So, so in this season that we're coming up on, it's, it's going to be very appropriate to, to fast, because that's what Christians should do. Christ said that we will fast. Um, 
it's appropriate to ask the Lord to humble you and to keep in mind that it, it is to be done in, in, in humility. And the how we fast, it's, it's pretty simple. Don't eat. Maybe don't eat and drink if that's what the Lord puts on you, but I personally don't plan on not drinking. I think water's, I think I would just cramp up if I went a day without drinking. If you're going to fast a day, if you're going to fast a meal, if you're going to fast a meal every day of the week, that's between you and the Lord. Ask the Lord how he would have you fast. If you're, if you're going to approach the Lord, ask him, I, I don't know. Lord, I don't know what to do, but I put my trust in you. How should I do this? What will honor you the most in my life? And, and why do we fast? Like, why are we fasting? Like, what's the point of this? Everybody had a very real reason to fast. You know, we had, uh, we had King Jehoshaphat where an army was coming upon him. You know, are, are, we, are we besieged with enemies? You know, we had uh, um, Ezra that needed to travel safely to his homeland. Or, or do, is that what we needed? We had King David who was told, you know, your, your son's going to die. He's been given a death sentence for his child by God. So, so why do we need to fast? Are those the reasons that we need to fast? And the answer is yes, those are the exact reasons we need to fast. Because we, Christians, are living in enemy territory. We have enemies all around us. But our enemies are not the enemies of flesh and blood. They're the principalities of the air. We need the Lord to interact and to, to interfere in our lives to protect us from these enemies, from these uh, oppressive forces that exist. We're, we're not of this world. We're on our way home. We're going to the new Jerusalem that is in the sky, but we have to live here. So yes, we need safe passage along this way, and we need the Lord to keep us on the straight and narrow. We, we need the Lord's guidance, just like Ezra did. And to my terror, and the terror of all the parents here, we, just like King David, have been given a death sentence for our children. Not through our own sin, but because... If our children do not repent of their sins and turn to Christ for salvation, they will perish. So yes, like David, we must run to the Lord for the salvation of our children. Run to the Lord for the protection of us on this journey. Run to the Lord because we are surrounded by enemies. And there are even some of us that are like Nineveh. The word of God has told you, God is your enemy. He is against you. He will destroy you. Take heed the words in Psalm 2.12. Kiss the son, lest he be angry with you, and you perish on the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Our church, and the reason we're doing the corporate fast at the beginning of the year, our church has been afflicted with many difficulties. So let us use this time of corporate fasting to humble ourselves before the Lord. Seek him in prayer for the, the issues afflicting our church, the members of our church, the salvation of our children, of our loved ones, and, and how the Lord would use us moving forward in evangelism, in outreach, in what we need to do. So to say, like, well, this time of corporate fasting seems generic. It's like, it's not generic. We got a lot of specific needs. So, so my encouragement is to take this time, go to the Lord, and, and as humbly as you can, and tell him, like, Lord, I don't know what to do, but I look to you. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, you are the God of the world. This is yours. Even though we don't see it, you are reigning over all. And we ask that you would be with us, that you would bless us, that you would prick our conscience, that you would reveal hidden sins for all of us, myself included, for Lord. 
and that we would use this time, this, this beginning of the year, this calendar event that you have given us, Lord, to really seek you and draw close to you, Father.